You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Brilliant. So today's guest is a former member of the band Mud, whose hits include Tiger Feet and Dynamite. He then, led, he then went on to produce and songwrite some absolute monumental tracks, including Can't Get You Out of My Head by Kylie Minogue and Groove Jet, If This Ain't Love by Spill and Sophie Alex Baxter. Uh, it looks like he's got an amazing setup at home and he's a Grammy winner. And also he's got a great smile on his face. It is uh, Mr. Rob Davis. How are we today? Good, thank you. Nice, yeah. nice to be here, everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a good one today because uh, we're, of course... In the Christmas season, now I imagine your Christmas season feels a little bit different to everybody else's. And can you, first of all, do you like Christmas? And uh, can yeah, you explain yeah. why yours is different? Um, I suppose it, it because um, I've always been every Christmas has been a mud song on on TV and radio all through through it. So it's a quite a fun, weird one, especially as you get older. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Is it a time that you you look forward to? Yeah, I think so. I mean, although this year, like, there's a big, big thing called the NPA lunch that I've just heard today is cancelled, where everybody gets out of their heads, and that's been cancelled because of the COVID thing, you know. Yeah. So a lot of people are losing their parties and their fun times, but still okay. Yeah, you, you of course, uh, you famously wrote the song "Lonely" this Christmas, which I would describe as the anthem of 2020 Christmas. Well, uh, I didn't actually write it, but I was in the band. Yeah, that recorded yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Um, how did that, how did that feel last year kind of becoming, I we, I heard it on TV a lot. I heard people referring to it a lot. Um, being that the Christmas season is all about, of course, togetherness. Um, yeah. Did you find yourself kind of reflecting on that track a little bit differently? Um, I, I sort of don't, don't hold it in my mind at Christmas, but uh, you, if, if you do the precincts and, some, and stuff, sometimes you get reminded it's playing over the speakers and stuff, you know, so... I don't go out of my way to remember it, but um, it, like in 74 when we had the hit, I can remember watching it and having a Christmas dinner with my parents and everything, and that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I bet. You guys are kind of famously known for being a little bit more tongue-in-cheek compared to other um, yeah. bands of, of, of the time. Um, you decided to record that song in more of an Elvis style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you must have told people the reasons why before, but just for our audience, why why was that chosen? And um, and did you ever hear from El? Well, anyone at the Elvis Estate because of it? Well, it was very fun. It's, it's really funny because some people actually say now, "Oh, that's an Elvis cover," but it isn't. It was like a, a just an impersonation. The lead singer who, who died like a few years back now, Les Gray, he we did a live act and he we did a few Elvis things and he did that. A, a really good impersonation and and Mike Chapman who wrote the song heard us on a gig he said you've got to do it with an Elvis thing and uh it worked yeah definitely were you guys a little bit nervous about that nah because we had a really good laugh doing it you know the fact that he messes around and does it all we're all falling about while he's doing it you know so it's really fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um can we talk I don't mind of course you don't have to give me exact figures but when people hear Christmas song, Christmas number one, there's always that kind of conversation about royalties that follow afterwards. Do you see and still see um, like a healthy amount coming in 
And when would that be if an artist says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well in the Christmas charts or I'm in the Christmas charts yearly? When do, when do you see that? And um, feel free to give me a ballpark figure or feel free to just say it, it's a good amount. Well, well um, nowadays, because I'm not a writer on that, we, we, we get sod all really, not, not much, you know, out of the whole mud thing. We were only on three points. So, But the, the writers... Um, at the time, um, with Lonely's Christmas, it was doing like up from forty to ninety thousand a day in sales. You know, so there was a lot of money pocketed in '74. A lot of the time, and all those years through. But you know, since Spotify and stuff, um, people don't make as much money out, out records really now. Kind of switching the to kind of to a, a different lane now. Then you yeah. you of course did. You, I, I'll say this: you hands down one of the best songwriters in the UK um with with what you've come out with ever since of course uh leaving the band and working with with Kylie Minogue and, and Sophie Felix Baxter when it comes to royalties and tracks that you wrote prior to streaming did you yeah. have to kind of rejig and were you kind of curious or even worried when it comes to to new contracts for that um well the streaming thing is something we can't do anything about and it's there for life but for the public it's amazing because they get loads of songs for Bradley Zilch um but from from up to like 2000 I don't know, 2005 you still saw really good royalties you know from selling CDs and DVDs and and that sort of and even you know vinyl but um that's all closed down really now because of every, everybody's got Spotify or one of one of those you know Apple or, yeah iTunes or whatever but um yeah and, and the art the actual artists and the, the writers especially don't the writers used to do amazing in the old days but not so, not so good now hmm. so uh, yeah we're talking about writing when you when you wrote can't get you out of my head um did you did you know it was magic from the moment you, you, you wrote it can you kind of tell us the story of how you got Kylie on it as well yeah um I wrote, I wrote the song with Kathy Dennis we, we did that in like seven hours and um, it was like finished a really good demo, and uh, the, the master is practically the same as, as the demo with with Kylie on it. But um, yeah, it was written really quickly, and at the time I did the demo and sent it to Parlophone and the A and R guy named named Jamie Nelson, and he he loved it, and he said, "I want to send Kylie down to you." And a few months later, she came down. She'd learnt it, and she was sung it brilliantly. Yeah, that was in my little shed in Epsom. <laughs> oh wow! Did you have any other artists in mind for it? Uh, yeah, we, we sent it out to, uh, I mean, well, Kathy played it to Simon Fuller for S Club, he said it wasn't right, and um, I sent it to Sophie, and I think she rejected it, and um, a few other people heard it, I think Blue Blue heard it and wanted to do it, they're A&R at the time, but um, Kylie sort of st- put a stamp on it, and it just worked, you know. Hmm. And and of course, since then, it's, it's still played uh, to this yeah. day. Um, I mean... Yeah, go for it's, it. Still gets lots of uh, sinks all over the world. And uh, it's, it's really, you know, if you have a hit that big, even in, in the uh, streaming days, you still can earn good money from it, you know, if you have a massive hmm. hit. That's what I was going to get to, because is there a secret behind uh, songwriting? And do you feel there's a different process to have longevity on, on a song? Uh, trends change, listeners change, people change. But there's still there's still songs out there, and I'm not talking about, of course, Christmas songs because they come just like summer anthems come. But if you're trying to get an, a song that can be played any day of the week in any season, 
Um, is do you have a kind of go-to? Is there a, is there a book that you could ever write to say this is the go-to for that? Well, well, for me personally, I always like to have something a little bit left left of centre and not not the same as everybody else, um, especially lyrically and song wise. But um, that that's, doesn't mean that's a rule for everybody. I think basically, like a few people say to me over the years, the more you do, the more you write, the more you learn. And I think you know when you're going wrong, and when you know something isn't isn't great or something feels great. I think in a, it's an instinct as well. Just after you've been doing it for a long time, really. Mm, definitely. And has it changed your your songwriting process since? So of course we're talking just over twenty years ago. You would have wrote the track. Yeah, between between now and then, has it changed? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, tracks have definitely changed, but in a way, I can't get it on my head. It still sounds modern because it's got that electronic sort of dance into it, which there's still stuff that comes out that sounds just like it. You know, often I hear mm. another back track and think, no, oh, they've definitely heard "Can't Get It on My Head." You know, and it's another song. You know, mm. but, um, yeah, there's no rules, but I think it's good to keep plowing forward and trying trying different things. You know, but always yeah. keep the song strong. What advice would you give then to a songwriter or as they say, if someone had to actually sit down and write a track with you? Um, yeah. Again, your, your I, I guess Wikipedia speaks for itself. Um, so what maybe one or two things that you'd say to someone who maybe wants to write on their own or approach you about a, a co-writing project? Uh, if someone came, came into me and said, uh, let's write together. I'd say bring in as many diverse ideas as you can, bring loads of lyrics, um, pick fine lines that have perhaps haven't been used and sound a little bit original. Um, um, bring melodies, bring, bring everything and let me hear it all. You know, and, we, and I, I find it nowadays writing is, is good to have lots of options. Maybe try a few things out before you say, this is great. Let's finish it. Try a lot of lots of small ideas and see if there's anything that's got a bit of a spark, you know, don't just yeah. grab something and think this is great, but move around, you know. Okay. Is there any current songwriters that you'd you'd say you maybe draw an inspiration from, or that you'd say to a young songwriter, hey, go go check out his or her or their their stuff? Um, I, I think me at the moment, I think in today's climate, I sort of like one-off records, and I think, oh, this is brilliant. And and sometimes you hear another another record by the same act, and you think, oh, this is not as good. But um, yeah, yeah, there's lots of good. I mean, people like Diane, Diane Warren has still got great songs, and um, people like that. But I, I, I'm trying to think of anybody. Um, I, I think it's all, all about one-off songs that like you think are magical, really. Just, yeah. Um, do you know? Do you know off the top of your head how many countries have listened to to "Can't Get You Out of My Head"? Can you give I me think maybe it was number one in about twenty? I keep getting told, yeah. 20 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. is there a difference between markets? Would you say that if someone wanted to break into the pop market of the UK, which is heavily dominated by that kind of music, or yeah. say they want to break into the, the European market or, or Japan, do you do you have a I don't know. Uh, a way of feeling those markets out or do you just kind of go for I think this is an absolute tune it's gonna work everywhere <laughs> uh, it's hard to say that um I, I think it it's good to um keep in touch with all the markets listen to the like the top top stuff that's getting played in Europe and 
and Asia. And of course, Asia, Asia is a different world altogether, you know, and people are pitching songs in Asia that aren't getting heard here and they're, earn, they're earning really well because they still print DVDs and stuff like that and and CDs. But mm. um, here, here um, I, I think UK and America sort of go together. America is probably more rap based now, but um, it's good, good just to listen to everything that's out there, you know, get across that section of what you want to write for. Yeah, yeah, amazing. If you don't mind, Rob, I'd kind of want to take you back to the beginning then. Uh, we've just kind of run through all like the songwriting tips and stuff. And a lot yeah. of people, there's, there's always that uh, element to, to a lot of musicians out there. They want to know the, the best songwriting. But I feel like sometimes that uh, up and coming artists and independent artists can just pull from people's experience. How did you yourself get into the music industry? Um, I, I was in um, a band called Mod, obviously. Um, and, and we were sort of friends at school, a couple of us uh, in a place called Mitchum in Surrey. And we just grew up and uh, did little gigs, covers at first and stuff like that. I, th- I think if, if you want to be an artist and a writer, it's, just, it's so important to do gigs. And it just gives you confidence and, and makes you more professional. And, and also playing other people's tunes, you learn, you know, chord sequences, which you can steal in later life for your writing. And... But every, everybody steals everything. No, nothing's original, you know. I mean, half the dance dance tracks that are out there have got the same chords on, you know. But um, it's good to have differently. I mean, I, I love the band called Steely Dan in the 70s because their, their chords were so incredible, you know, so many chord changes. Yeah. At the time, it was very, and we're talking about the 70s here, the, it was all about, I guess, male flamboyancy. Uh, yeah. And you guys kind of leaned into that. Do you, do you feel that we potentially might be missing it today, or um, are you seeing certain artists and seeing kind of like the comparisons between? Yeah, there are. I mean, like uh, how many people sound a bit like Bowie? You know, like um, the Arctic Monkeys. His voice sometimes reminds. I'm thinking, blimey, he's listened to Bowie, you know, and he's influenced so many modern people, you know. Mm. And that, he's a great writer as well, the Arctic Monkeys guy. Was so, there was there a moment where you guys were kind of putting things together then as a band? Were you kind of pulling from inspiration from previous? Yeah, I mean, even Mike Chapman, who wrote um, Tiger Feet and, and um, Cat Crept In, ripped, ripped off Elvis Presley on Cat Crept In. It, like, it was uh, definitely... I mean, everybody's taken a piece of it, obviously, over the years, you know. <laughs> you guys took a little bit more than a piece. Uh, <laughs> I'd say then, if like for now, with with the way that the the market's going, have you got a prediction uh, for the music industry in twenty twenty two? Are you seeing it going one way or another? Well, I, th- I think technically, um, well, the great thing about nowadays, you can put a studio together with um, like amazing equipment not not too expensively like years ago it w- was really expensive to have a studio people were, were getting technology and uh, of course electronic records are being made all the time and they just sort of are sounding better and better because production's just getting phenomenal the uh the stage of it and all the gadgets and plugins you can get is, you can make something sound amazing you know mm. if you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely have you got many plans for the next year then yeah, I mean, I've always got little projects, that, um, a couple of things that are based in Asia that come out and um, got a thing called Voyager 2, which is on Spotify and gets a few, few plays. But I think art, again, I, I keep hearing everybody, everybody's got to have the social media thing going as well nowadays. It's just so important. 
Um, mm. If a new artist is out, a label would say, will say to the artist, um, have you got any social media? You could have the greatest songs in the world. If you haven't got social media, we're not signing you. you yeah. Know, what do you think you guys would have done on social media? God, terrible. You know, we we, we, did, we didn't know. I mean, it didn't exist then. It was all about playing and playing and playing to loads of venues in those days. But um, yeah. now the venues are COVID closed and all that half the time. Uh, like, like, I've got a place in Ibiza and like, the clubs haven't been open for two years out there. And uh, mm. I think a lot of big records could have come that, through that through the clubs out there. But um, it's just radio and stuff now and social media, of course. You can uh, you can answer this in the most political way possible if you want. Oh, go on. uh, if Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat was around back in the seventies, do you think yeah. Mud would have had? <laughs> I'm gonna say this without laughing. Do you think do you think Mud would have got in trouble with what you behind the Probably. scenes of what you were posting? Yeah. Probably, yes. yes definitely. <laughs> Wouldn't have been right. No. No, have you got maybe one or two stories stories that can be actually told on a podcast? I don't want to get you in trouble again. Oh, well, naughty things. Um, well, I mean, back then I, I met people like Mark Bolin, like it's like who's like a bit of a legend, and 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 um, once I met him on, on a TV show, and he said, uh, "We love love to have a jam with you, just me, me, you, and a bass drum." You know, like a couple of years later, he's gone. You know, died really yeah. young. Legend yeah. Drum. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. I think I think we're we're kind of coming to uh, a part in in life where the the stars of the seventies are oh well done stars of the seventies are of course um, th- there's a lot of things that have have taken them away from us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to kind of pinpoint. And you must have seen a, a lot of stuff there. Um, with 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 that being said, and the lifestyle. Do you think do you think it came across very much in like the music of then? And nowadays, do you think it's a little bit more tamer, a little bit more kind of yeah. held back because of it? When when you think of us and all, all those glam rock bands, they were always on top of the pops every week, but there's no no TV showing all that now. So we're we're missing out a whole, you know, part you've got YouTube and stuff. There's so much on YouTube. People probably don't know what to go to half the time. Yeah. But uh, mm. yeah, I mean, if you got like Top of the Pops, you'd have a good chance of getting a hit record, you know, on your song. Yeah, yeah. Do you think Top of the Pops should make a comeback or do you think it wouldn't work in this type of uh, this I'm media sure it, era? If, if it would gave, gave some modern technology to it and made it a bit more cool, I think it could work. I, I think TV does need another live show. I mean, um, I mean, Jules Holland's probably the only thing going, isn't it? And it's not not just pop, it's all over. It's quite jazz, everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, someone should definitely do it. Mm, mm. I am. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of lead off with one last question. Then um, I love the fact that you've you've let me go down uh, the uh, the rabbit hole of uh, a few of the things from the seventies, but your songwriting with Kylie and Sophie Alex Baxter. Um, honestly, I'm so grateful that you've come on the Almost Famous podcast today. Um, I want to know with the career that you've had, number ones across the world. Uh, you're you're a Grammy winner. Um, you've also worn, I don't know if I'm going to call it a play suit or a dress, uh, from time to time, <laughs> what advice would you give now to your younger self? And I'm not talking about you in the seventies, even younger with what you've experienced. Is there anything that you, you would tell young Rob Davis? Yeah. Um, before, before you do any sort of record deal or 
getting involved in the music business. If you think you're going to get somewhere, get a good lawyer first before you sign any contracts. <laughs> so important. Yeah, I'm assuming that's coming from a few yes, hiccups along the way. Yeah, a bit of past experience, yeah. Yeah, because uh, you could be a whole lot better off just for having that really good lawyer to start with, you know. Mm. And especially when it comes to the social media game now, your music's not just available in stores or in streaming services. Your music's available on Instagram. Your music's available on yeah. TikTok. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's some absolutely great advice. Rob, thank you for coming on today. What an absolute gentleman. Thank you, Rob, for coming on the podcast. And I'm 99% sure this will be our last show of 2021. Unless Dave Grohl shows up at the famous office, this is my last chance to say have a great time over the holiday season and have a fantastic new year. And if you want to check out more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks and exclusive content, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Famous Co. My name is Zaid. Tap that subscribe or follow button and we'll see you all in 2022. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.